Long winter nights, mountains of snow, a lack of transportation, and limited mobility. These are all things that can cause people to feel isolated or lonely. And those issues existed even before the start of the pandemic. Being in rural Alaska can both compound loneliness and relieve it. For this special episode of Talk of Alaska, we recorded in person in Talkeetna, a small community in the upper Susitna Valley, to hear from folks about how they deal with social isolation, loneliness, and other issues that affect their mental health. We're not taking any calls. That's coming up today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Alaska's unique approach to mental health funding is improving the lives of Alaskans who experience behavioral health conditions and developmental disabilities. The Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority has a responsibility to generate revenue from its one million acres of land and the resources they contain. The trust uses this revenue to help fund statewide programs and initiatives that positively impact trust beneficiaries. To learn more, visit alaskamentalhealthtrust.org. This message sponsored by the Alaska Mental Health Trust. The Alaska Travel Industry Association provides leadership and guidance to Alaska's tourism businesses for how to operate safely across the state. Members can access updated industry resources related to COVID-19 at alaskatia.org. This message sponsored by ATIA. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. So today on Talk of Alaska, we're recording in Talkeetna with an in-person audience. Our focus is isolation, loneliness, why they matter, and what can be done to alleviate them. I'm your host, Ann Hillman, and though we do have two guests, today is very focused on conversation and community sharing. So I encourage everyone in the audience to contribute if you feel comfortable. And think about things like, how are you affected by isolation? And what have you or your community done to combat it? Remember, your ideas might inspire someone else. So before we begin, I'd love for each of the panelists to introduce themselves. Um, talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what brings you to a panel like this today. So Sarah. Uh, my name is Sarah Blanning. I am a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, I have worked for Sunshine Community Health Center for the last five and a half years as a behavioral health provider, previously as the director of the behavioral health team, and more recently transitioning into uh, simply a provider role and taking care of people in the community. And I'm here because uh, I'm really uh, passionate about this community. I don't live in Talkeetna, but I've spent a lot of time working with a lot of people that do live here. And uh, anything that I can do that brings some support and education and information, uh, I'm all for that. Thanks. Luann? Hi, I'm Luann Carol Tisdale. I'm the executive director of the Upper Susitna Food Pantry. I've been the director for seven years. And I've lived in Talkeetna for 22 years. I spent 20 years working in behavioral health across the state of Alaska, and this is my home. I'm invested in this community. My grandchildren and my children were born and raised here, well, so far, and um, hopefully successfully. And um, I'm just invested in seeing our community grow and thrive and be a wonderful place to live. Luann, you seem like the perfect person to tell people in the listening audience in the radio world a little bit about Talkeetna in case they've never been here. Oh, <laughs> Talkeetna is a wonderful place to live. It is a mix of uh, all kinds of interests and diverse populations. We have people that move here with the dream of moving into the wilderness and building their own cabin and becoming self-sufficient and self-sustaining and, 
We have a group of people that love the outdoors and are invested in maintaining our environment. And we have families that raise their children here. We are quirky and different and so human and warm. And we're just a wonderful community, you know? Sounds like a place we should all want to be. Oh, you do. <laughs> so loneliness and isolation. That was when I spoke with folks about what we should focus on in a conversation today. Those issues keep coming up. They come up in urban areas, they come up in rural areas. Sarah, why? Why is it so important to talk about loneliness and isolation? How does that affect anyone's mental health? So I think that uh, the idea of loneliness is something that every single person in this room and every person that has existed on this planet at any point in time uh, can understand, can uh, think about periods of times in your life when you have felt that way. Um, and one thing that I always like to throw out when we're talking about any scenario, any situation, any experience that can cause us discomfort or distress is to normalize that most of those things come from uh, a, a, a survival reason. There is a, a rationale in our brains and in our bodies that we feel these things. Uh, which sometimes feels really far away when you're not feeling very good about something. It feels like there's something wrong. Um, but if we think about that in the context of loneliness, there really is a very significant biological basis for being lonely. So if we think about this from our perspective of uh, being a species that has survived uh, over many, many, many generations, if we didn't have a sense of loneliness when we are in a caregiver role, taking care of a baby or a small child that needed our, our, our care, our love, um, the safety that we can provide. We, none of us would be in this room. Our species would have died out long ago. Uh, so it is biologically wired into us to feel the need to connect with other people, for moms and dads and caregivers to connect with babies, for babies to connect with their family, and for us as adults to connect with each other. Uh, we are not a solitary species, uh, so it's, it's ingrained in us, okay? And I like to point that out at the very beginning because uh, sometimes, especially when we live in Alaska and in more rural areas, some, sometimes when I talk to people, we get the sense that we're supposed to somehow like, be okay with being lonely. Uh, and that can't be further from the truth. We rely on our fellow human beings to survive. Okay. So when we don't get that, aside from feeling not great, uh, feeling very sad, feeling like we're not connected to other people, has huge negative impacts on our health. Our stress response is increased, which does all sorts of nasty stuff to our body. Uh, our risk of physical illnesses goes up. Our risk of mental illnesses go up. Uh, so making sure that we are able to stay well-connected, um, avoid being isolated is one of the most important things that we can do to, to be physically healthy, to be emotionally healthy, to be mentally healthy. Uh, and without that, um, it really doesn't feel good. I think if we, any of us look back to times where we felt very lonely in our life, you can feel, you feel how painful that was. Um, we're just not set up for that. that. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes me think of all the times where I felt like I couldn't connect with those around me even when I was in a room full of people. That's it, a great point. That idea, I think we also need to recognize, you talked about like 
being alone versus lonely. We also have this distinction of loneliness can be physical loneliness when you're just by yourself and you want people around you, but there's emotional loneliness if the depth of connection with other people isn't there. Romantic loneliness because you're looking for a partner that you don't have. So loneliness can really take on a lot of different forms. And is loneliness kind of in some ways baked into our communities, like in community structure, like in terms of you know, we focus on work all day and then we go home. So what if you don't have connections in your work life? Yes, 100%. So I have, a, I have a couple points to add on that one. So first one being one of the big predictors of whether we're going to experience loneliness is sort of where we're at in our own phase of life compared to what is, you know, quote unquote expected or the norm, right? You know, if you are 27 years old and all of your friends are getting married and having babies and you're doing something totally different, you're going to feel a sense of loneliness because your experience isn't matching up with what may be more common in your social circle. Um, same reason if you uh, are not employed and you don't have that environment and maybe the people around you are and so their connection is through their place of employment and your experience is different from that. Um, so I think that those experiences um, really can highlight uh, that what is going on in your life outside of loneliness can really influence whether you're likely to be lonely or not. That makes a lot of sense. Luann, you work at the, at the food pantry, mm -hmm. but when we were speaking earlier, you mentioned how like, work at the food pantry has really pivoted in these past few years to do so much more than just providing food. Can you talk about how, like, what you've been doing to address Yes. I thank you for that opportunity. When we started uh, in 2020, when pandemic hit, of course, everyone had to isolate down and we severed connection really quickly. That was a mandated stay away and don't have contact and don't spend time with the people you spent time with. It was almost like just putting walls around ourselves. And I think that some people took it too far. You know, you could pick up the phone, but uh, well, you could pick up the phone. A lot of people just took it to that, uh, the extreme and just isolated themselves down into what they thought was a safe little ball. So some of the populations that we saw that really were impacted, one was our senior population. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. A lot of them tended, that are still self-sufficient, tend to live on their own, but they have support structures around them. Um, people that take them to the store, people that stop by for a game of cards, people who come and shovel your driveway, uh, you know. And all of a sudden, they lost all of that. As we were all so afraid of getting COVID, we shut all those services off. And so a lot of people that had that support system that allowed them to live by themselves pretty successfully, all of a sudden lost all of the supports and, and the friendships kind of went by the wayside and the casual stop by for a cup of coffee or someone stopping by to check in on you or two seniors checking on each other as neighbors or just down the road. All of those things just kind of ground to a halt. And so we saw a lot of the seniors starting to experience isolation and loneliness to an extreme um, amount. And the other thing that we saw in this population is stoicism. So they would, uh, they're older, they don't sometimes share their emotions as easily, especially the men, go figure. And uh, so they became more and more isolated. And, but they, a lot of them set their teeth and they, they kind of set their stance and I can endure this. 
unfortunately, you know, you can endure a lot of things, but as time went by and that sense of isolation got bigger and they were more lonely and the family connections were dwindling down, we saw a lot more depression, just a lot of feelings of isolation and depression. And um, even, I venture to say, I had a senior tell me at the end of 2020, he said to me, I don't think I'm gonna make it through this next winter. So, you know, I thought about that for a minute, and I said, why? Why? And what he said to me was, well, I don't feel the same way I used to feel. He said, also, I don't have the supports that I used to have. I used to be able to hike down the trail and go to my cabin and bring things in, and I'd stop back by on the way out, and the neighbor up at the top help would help me load up the sled, and we'd keep the, the trail plowed. He said, I needed all of those things to be able to live here successfully, and they don't happen right now, and there is no one to talk to. He said, and it's different when you stand at the edge of a property line and talk to someone versus sitting on their porch and having a cup of coffee that human connection, even for the person who lives out by Kenny Lake and, and spends most of their time hermiting, right? But they have those points of connection that existed, and they stopped existing for them. And um, the other thing with our seniors we saw was the lack of technology uh, knowledge. You know, a lot of us, we are in Zoom meetings a lot, and, and we have uh, contact with our grandchildren and things, if you have grandchildren. You can do it with Zoom or, or WhatsApp or Face, FaceTime. But a lot of our seniors don't, one, don't have that technology, two, don't understand that technology, three, sometimes they just don't want to know about that technology. <laughs> and so there is some, and four, in the income, uh, income levels that we are working with, a lot of them don't own that technology, or that technology doesn't reach out to where they live. And so some of the things that we, uh, and I am a senior, but I'm a younger senior, let me qualify there. Um, um, so I understand technology, although my grandchildren don't think so. And um, so they just couldn't access that, and, and so they just became more and more isolated, and it just solidifies down. So we saw some trends that were really interesting, and I'm not going to talk too much about this longer, but uh, some interesting things we saw with people as pandemic kept progressing. I, um, I'm going to just talk about a couple of people that I saw, I have a group of middle-aged individuals who decided to get a house and live together. They're not related to each other, but they decided to live together. There's five of them. They live together because it works for them. They have social contact. They have what they need. They work together. They're not isolated. They're not lonely. I don't know how the dynamic in the house actually works all the time, but I do know that they made that choice. I also saw a lot of seniors in our community decide to pack up and leave. Um, I had at one time a, a base of 68 really low-income seniors, and I took it down to 52. And the reason I lost them was not because they died. It was because they moved to be around people, and that was it. They couldn't make it here on their own, and they needed more contact. One of my really good friends has a wonderful house and a life here. But this year, she put her house up for sale and decided to move down into the States into an efficiency apartment because her family is there. And after two years of pandemic and the loneliness and the isolation, they need more connection. And so they are making those big changes. Good stuff. Yeah, it's a, loneliness can lead to a lot of major life changes when people recognize that that's happening. Um, I'd like to welcome people in the audience to contribute to this. I mean, Luann talked about different ways people are coping, creative things people have done, moving in with one another. Um, maybe, maybe you all have experienced or seen or done some of those yourself. 
Sarah, I'm wondering, how do people really recognize if, like, that loneliness is what's affecting them, or that it's isolation affecting them versus some other issue? That is a spectacular question uh, that I don't know that everybody notices soon enough, right? I think that sometimes when we start to feel like things are off or we're not feeling as great or as up to snuff as we may typically be, uh, for some of us and at certain times it may feel really obvious uh, that we have not had the same amount of connection or as much conversation with other people as we're used to. Um, but other times, I think it can really just fly under the radar very easily. Uh, you know, thinking of the last couple of years, and it was it was interesting. It's my own personal experience here. You know, prior to COVID, my dear friend, every single month we'd go out to dinner together. It was just our thing. We'd catch up. We'd spend, you know, basically close the restaurant down, sitting there catching up about what was going on in both of our very busy lives. And then COVID happened, and clearly we were not going out to dinner. Um, she had some high-risk people in her family, so it wasn't really safe to get together. So we limited it to, you know, we text every now and then. And um, even though it has become much more reasonable for us to get together for our monthly dinner in these last, you know, six months or a year, maybe we may have been able to do that, we just didn't. We just were not in the routine of it anymore. Um, and it was actually, in maybe perhaps, and in our conversations recently that got me thinking about it more. You know, I just messaged her recently and I was like, we gotta put a date on the calendar now, um, right now. So I'm going to dinner with her next Tuesday uh, because it was so simple and, and without even recognizing it, and as somebody that works in the mental health field, to not even really notice in my own self that, gosh, this is a very, very dear friend to me that has you know supported me through a lot of tough stuff in my life and i've supported her through a lot of tough stuff in her life and somehow we completely forgot to get back together um, and i think that COVID has probably done that to a lot of us in some way or another you just kind of fell into this new routine and even if that new routine stinks it's at least familiar mm -hmm. uh, and so taking that time now to really make a conscious effort to think where am i at in terms of spending time with people is this remotely close to the way it used to be and does this actually feel like what i want the long term of my life to be looking like um, because otherwise i think the the possibility that we're just cruising along in this this new normal which is like terrible uh, is really, uh, it's, it's really, really possible. Uh, and without that moment to kind of sit and reflect on it a little bit, I think we'll, we'll stay in some of those routines, even the ones that aren't serving us very well. I agree. I think we're in survival mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have a kind of uh, PTSD, pandemic PTSD. <laughs> wow, those initials. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, work becomes, if you have work, that's your value system. You know, um, I have noticed a lot of people changing a lot of things, but what I think is really interesting too is how people have taken that time to reevaluate their priorities. This period of time has caused us all to examine what we want from our lives and to make decisions about where we're going or what we're doing. You know, I, I have talked to so many parents who talk, have talked a lot about staying home, one, because there's no daycare, um, but two, staying home and discovering that they before had a value system that said they both had to work and they both had to bring the income in. And during this period of time, spending time with their kids and, and trying to find ways and activities to, to kind of move forward, some of the reevaluation of your life's values has taken place for a lot of us. What is important? What do we really want? And 
I think we're seeing long end back end the consequences of some of that reevaluation. Yeah. So work is not your whole life. Again, an invitation to anyone in the audience who wants to, to add to this to maybe talk about like how have you reprioritized things or what have you seen in working with young people or working with other adults in the community about how priorities have changed, about how people have gotten creative with connecting. Has technology helped you connect or has technology become a barrier, as you mentioned, for seniors? But I mean, it, Sarah, with technology, is are the connections the same? So I did some research on that because I was honestly really curious because certainly, um, as Luann mentioned, we spent way too much time on Zoom over the oh, last yeah. couple of years. And uh, what's interesting, there's still a lot more research to be done, but preliminarily what we're finding is that technology is really, really useful in reducing social, social isolation, increasing um, our sense of connection, um, and reducing loneliness when it is a supplement to the real world. When it is a replacement for the real world, that's when we see it actually serves the opposite purpose. Um, now, how we define that, I think, is uh, unique to each one of us. Um, but thinking of that for, for each of us and taking some time to reflect on that when we think, okay, so I've brought technology in. Is this something that really helped add to my life? Was it a, an additional way to connect with other people, maybe to connect with people that have hobbies that you really need to rely on the internet to find some of those connections um, or to find support with people that maybe are experiencing something similar to you? Uh, or have we retreated from the real world and have used technology as our replacement for it? Um, and uh, I find that really interesting. Like I said, there's a lot more research to be done to really refine some of that, but preliminarily, that's what, that's what the evidence is showing us. Um, so it'll be interesting, right, Luann, as you talk about these adaptations that we've made, how many of these technological adaptations have supplemented and how much maybe have been a replacement. So I call it Zoom fatigue. Anybody familiar with Zoom fatigue in this audience? Zoom fatigue. <laughs> I uh, have been really interested. I am compelled into many Zoom meetings. Compelled is the correct word here. And uh, so I have been fascinated by behavior over the past two years and how we have adapted to technology in another way. When we first started Zoom meetings, all of us were dressed nicely, and our behavior was excellent. But as time has progressed with Zoom, I have observed people wandering into their pajamas, children running around frantically behind uh, in meetings, dogs barking, people scratching their armpits <laughs> and their noses. And, you know, we used to all sit there so nicely, and now people are drinking things and getting up in the middle of the meeting and walking out without telling you what's going on. And we have become, when I talk about adapting to technology, we have become comfortable as we spend a lot of time in these rooms. We're not so rigid in our behaviors. We're relaxing with this particular form of... Uh, and I... Um, actually, I've come to view that as a type of connection that I didn't have when we started. When people get so comfortable with this, they're actually being themselves instead of the person they were uh, when we first started this performance art format. So um, that's been an interesting evolution in meetings as well, I have to say. So do you feel like it's like, in some ways, reducing some of like the barriers that we always put up in terms of you have to be professional and you have to appear a certain way. And so people are, are being more real with each other now? Well, you're certainly getting a different look at them. 
Ja. Så. <laughs> for better or for worse. Better or for worse. Hi. Hi there. I'm Melissa, and I've uh, been a resident of, of Talkeetna for about 25 years. Uh, a former, as I was a former teacher, um, I experienced loneliness in the classroom, even though I had 40 kids. Um, it was lonely getting there in the morning early, working early, and lonely going home, and it affected home life and everything else. But fortunately, I changed my life. I'm no longer a teacher, and it's probably the benefit to children as well, but that's what I want to address, is uh, have, I am really concerned about the learning gap that our children are experiencing, because we do have a large learning gap, and I'm experiencing, I, I, I'm concerned about the loneliness that our children are experiencing now, especially since they don't have that school social, it's getting better, but then they'll shut the, the school down for COVID, and then they'll do this and do that, and then, Somebody will come down with COVID. And, it, and I think that we lost, in those two years, the kids have lost the ability to make relationships and keep relationships, not only with their teachers, but with each other. And I, I was wondering how we are addressing the loneliness of our children. Thank you. Thank you. So I think that's a really great point. And I think that's probably an area that we're not going to really see a lot of the most significant repercussions until year after year after year after year down the road. Um, but uh, I think we're also going to really see that the gaps and those deficits for kids is going to be really dependent on what that home environment looked like. Yeah. Um, particularly, you know, if they have some siblings, you know, some built-in ability to build relationships, especially with people that drive you bananas. Um, and uh, how well the parents or the caregivers in the home were able to function. We know that children are remarkably, remarkably resilient. Yes. Um, but that resilience really occurs within the context of parents that create that environment of safety and security and attachment. And so for those kids that had that really safe home environment, we'll probably see some gaps for sure. I mean, how could you not? We as adults have gaps. Um, but uh, I think that they will be able to um, kind of get back into the swing of things much more quickly because they have this really solid foundation. For kids that didn't have that, that's certainly who we're going to see probably having a lot more difficulty. Um, but uh, we know simply from like a neurobiological perspective, kids grow new brain cells way faster than any of us in this room as adults, uh, which means that they um, are also gonna be able to pick up on new things so much more quickly. So, I mean, that's the, the, the benefit that we have here. Um, you know, kids are able to certainly um, make up a lot when they have a, a healthy environment um, and they have the, the benefit of being a child <laughs> with still a very developing brain. But I think that that is a really, really excellent point because um, I, I have asked myself sort of the same question. What's it gonna be uh, common 10 years from now in the kids of the pandemic? And I think we can all make some guesses, but none of us will really know for sure until that time comes. We need to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll hear more from our live conversation taped in Talkeetna. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. 
NEA Alaska is a professional education association representing over 11,000 of Alaska's dedicated public school employees. NEA Alaska members are united in their commitment to provide an excellent education for every student, regardless of background or zip code. Together, NEA Alaska members work with colleagues, parents, and their communities to build strong public schools that are productive, safe, and welcoming to all. Learn more at NEAalaska.org and help NEA Alaska reach, teach, and inspire all Alaska students. This message sponsored by NEA Alaska. Hi, I'm Ann Hillman. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. This conversation was pre-recorded in Talkeetna, and we will not be taking any calls today. I'd like to invite the next speaker to the microphone. Um, I was going to address a different thing, but uh, um, I will say that also I think it depends on the personality of the child a great deal. Great. So um, I have two grandchildren, and one immediately had difficulty um, with the, it wasn't the technology. She's, she's very fine with technology, but she hated the remote learning and it was torture for her, um, where the other one did just fine and really you know, got something out of that. Um, my daughter actually went to um, a home school program for the younger one because she didn't then have to deal with all of the different ways of connecting or not connecting. So I think um, you know, being adaptive to what each, each child needs and you know, again, they were lucky that they have parents that were able to do that and you know, um, and when on the couple of days that, and it was a wonderful experience for me, I have to say, in that time period, because um, my daughter and son-in-law were working some of the time. So then I would have them. So we developed Nana School. <laughs> and you know, sometimes the older one would ask a question and I would say, don't have a clue, not a clue, especially when it had to do with math. But, um, but we got through that period, and of course it brought me closer to the kids. And that was, so, you know, I think there have been some benefits, you know, to this, and it's about, you know, I'm the eternal optimist. I always see a glass half full. Um, so I think that's one of them is, is kind of, being, for me, being able to be closer, that was my bubble. Um, I'm very lucky I have family right here and I could be there in, they were my bubble and we, so I didn't um, miss them, you know, and I physically could be present with them. Not everybody has that, you know, for me that was a wonderful thing. The thing that I, you know, was going to address was the technology piece. And again, that has turned out to be a wonderful thing for me, and I can give you two different examples. I was doing an in-person um, exercise group prior to the pandemic, as you know, that stopped, and then almost immediately 
one of my friends who actually wasn't in the exercise group before um, said, oh, well, let's just get everybody together on Zoom and we'll do this exercise group. So now we have people, and now two years later, we're still doing it. We do it three days a week. Um, and not everybody is there all the time. We just, you know, we come and go. But we have, we're connected with very close friends. Um, a couple are here in Talkeetna. One is in Trapper Creek, and she would not be able to come and join the group. I mean, she could, but to get there at 10 o'clock in the morning was hard for me. We're retired, you know. <laughs> we don't like to do things in the morning. Um, one's in Anchorage, one's in Arizona, one's in, um, well, two, two different places in Arizona. Um, so we've maintained this connection and gotten great exercise. You know, it's become very important to us. So that was, you know, a real boon to us. We would not be doing that. I would not be seeing the friends in Trapper Creek and Anchorage and Arizona anywhere near as much. And I do see them, I do talk with them, you know, so that's great. And does it feel like a deep connection? Um, yes, in, it, you know, we, we all were connected anyway. So, I mean, we started that, that off. Um, but yes, I think we've, I wouldn't say we've become closer, but we've maintained closeness you know, in a way that we probably wouldn't have, you know, if we didn't have that, you know, three times a week, you know, and when you couldn't really do anything. Now it's harder because people are doing getting out, but we were very um, rigid about that. Everybody was there three times a week because it, it, you know, it also helps our bodies, so that's really good too. So, <laughs> so we want to do that. Um, so, and we really are making it an exercise group, but we have time to chat in the beginning and at the end. I'll stop now. Thank you. What I'd love to add to that, what I, I take away from those examples that you're giving was not only creativity to um, think out of the box and how you can connect with people, like doing a, a Zoom group to exercise, but the willingness to push your comfort zone and saying, okay, well, I'm not like the biggest fan of tech and figuring all of it out, but I'm, I'm willing to push, I'm willing to try, and then ending up in that place where it's like, you know, it just works. <laughs> it works. I wouldn't have thought of this three years ago, but you know, given the circumstances the last couple years, like this actually feels super doable, and wow, this is better than I would have guessed. <laughs> All right, hello. Um, I wanted to touch on something Ann mentioned earlier about uh, never been lonelier than in a room full of people. Uh, the difference between solitude and loneliness or alone. And um, I came to Alaska quite some time ago and I thought it was for self-reliance and self-determination. And in retrospect, I think it probably had more to do with solitude and being crowded out of where I was from. And uh, admittedly, one more person in a small town could constitute overpopulation. I'm not sure. So I, <laughs> so I have contributed to that to some extent. But looking forward, I'm wondering um, how we're going um, to handle back to self-sufficiency. There isn't the fishing game there used to be. And um, we are seemingly more and more dependent on the rest of the world and the Yankee dollar or whatever makes the world turn. And Talkeetna has become more and more of a tourist destination. There have been several invitations just here tonight. Um, and I think that 
part of us uh, sometimes are beginning to feel overcrowded here. And the number of visitors has grown gradually year by year by year. And I know I felt that we had reached our max few years previous to the COVID thing. So I got to say that um, in a way it was a blessing as far as there's not the air traffic, there's not the mass of people, there's not the noise, there's not the, you know, all these things that we've come, become accustomed to. We've gradually grown to where we can handle it. And looking forward, we're looking at a year that's going to be wham, right back to where we were before it shut down. And I'm wondering how I will handle it, how the people I know will handle it. And um, I think we should pay it very close attention to how we accommodate the mass of people that will be here in just a matter of weeks. Now that so many things have changed as far as having the people to uh, serve them, having accommodations for those people, dealing with the human relations out on the trails or out on the river or um, it's going to be a real challenge, and we need to face it to it now. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, I, I have an observation about that, but it is in line of how we're going to change some of the things we're thinking. I never did not have contact with people during COVID. Other organizations shut down. We did not. So we actually doubled our services because of the need in this community. And that meant that I had contact with so many people every day that it was an overload. It's not so bad to have contact with that many people every day, and we all need that solitude. So when I go home, I like it, you know? I'm gonna put my pajamas on and don't knock on my door under these circumstances kind of person. Um, and I'm an introvert. What I had a problem dealing with and still do as time goes by is that influx of people that I see every day, but the anger. The anger that I have noticed displaced because a lot of people don't know how to express what they're feeling, the frustration, the powerlessness, the hopelessness, the it's dragging on and on and on. We thought we were going to be done by the end of 2020. Now we're in 2022, and this is certainly not where we thought we were going to be. And powerlessness, you know, is something that we're not real comfortable with a lot of times. And the anger. I hear so much anger. And what I wonder is, the employment base here is stressed, and a lot of people that worked last year talked about being exhausted all the time and frustrated and not enjoying where they were at and having so much expectation put on them and the influx, Demi, the influx, you're right, so many people, and so short staffing. And then exhaustion and the anger that comes with not feeling like you can change things, um, anger in reactions and communications between people as we have isolated more and not, and it's not necessarily anger, it's just the way it's coming out sideways. I wonder how we are going to adjust our thinking process around that. And I do not have an answer for that. I have just observed it more and more and more as time has gone through this pandemic. We're so angry. And... Uh, what will that look like? How do we pull ourselves back in, readjust our perspective, um, get back to a model where we actually can deal with our frustrations? Because as nice it would be if all of us had those great coping mechanisms, I haven't seen a lot of that. So, When you were speaking, it, it made me think of the analogy of when 
you wake up in the morning and your bedroom is all dark and somebody flings the blinds open and your eyes are completely and utterly not adjusted to that brightness. And that's a lot of what, especially this community has experienced over the last couple of years. You haven't had that inundation of all of the visitors. And so it's like having been in the dark room overnight. And uh, now the blinds are probably gonna get flung open, just like you said, in these coming weeks. And uh, you know, to Luann's point, part of it is that perception shift of just like when the blinds get flung open in the morning, you know, my eyes will adapt. <laughs> I will, I will survive this. Um, but also recognizing that our own individual tolerances are different and they may be different from one person to the next person. And they may be different for each one of us at different points in our life. Um, and being able to accept that and be comfortable with that. You know, some people thrive on the hustle and bustle. Some people want to be completely as far away from it as they can get, and most of us fall somewhere in the middle of those two things, and that may change. And so on the one hand, it is the recognition that everybody in this room has gone through the, the crazy tourist seasons in Talkeetna before. We have survived it. Um, whether we want to again <laughs> is a question to, to ask and reflect on, and if anybody's individual tolerance for that feels like it has changed, maybe it will get back to where it once was, or maybe it, it won't. And both of those are acceptable answers. Thank you, thank you all for that. We're taking a quick break, and then we'll be back with more on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. People who smoke or have smoking-related conditions like lung and heart disease are more likely to get seriously ill from COVID-19. Not using any tobacco or e-cigarette products is one of the best ways to keep your immune system strong, ready to fight all kinds of viruses. If you decide to quit, help is available. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or text READY to 200-400 to get the support you need to quit for good. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line. The COVID-19 pandemic has created unexpected financial hardship for many Alaskans. Do you need help paying your mortgage? You are not alone. Now there is help. If you own a home, you may be eligible for Alaska Housing Homeowner Relief. The program may help cover mortgage payments, property taxes, utilities, insurance premiums, and homeowner association dues. The last day to apply is Monday, April 4th. Learn more and sign up at alaskahousingrelief.org. This message sponsored by Alaska Housing Finance Corporation. Hi, I'm Ann Hillman. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. This conversation was pre-recorded in Talkeetna, and we will not be taking any calls today. I'd like to invite the next speaker to the microphone. Yeah, so I'm Lily. I'm a resident here in Talkeetna. Um, so we've been talking a lot about people and connections between people, um, but I had a really life-changing experience this past winter when I was sick for about four months. I couldn't leave my house, and I live alone and I had some friends move out of town and they couldn't take their cat with them. Uh, so they uh, gifted me <laughs> this beautiful little creature and you know, I had felt really, really lonely and isolated. Um, you know, I think illness brings a different, distinct level of isolation and loneliness to it. And having this little companion um, that, you know, motive, not only motivated me to like get out of bed and kind of do things to care for it, but in other ways it didn't need anything from me. It didn't need me to feel better. If I felt bad, that was okay. It was 
you know, comforting to have it there. There were no expectations coming from this creature about when I was going to get better or, you know, what that was going to look like. And just having this other little being to, you know, experience life with, even though it wasn't a human being, was so comforting. And so I know that there's other people like in the world who for various reasons, or maybe even during COVID, the data on that would be really interesting, you know, how people who lived alone, you know, fielded all of that if they had a pet versus if they didn't. Um, but yeah, to like people who are out there and feeling really lonely and isolated and they can't necessarily, for one reason or another, connect with another person. Like, you know, for me, adopting a pet was life-changing, so. I love that. There's nothing better than that unconditional positive love and regard and acceptance that you get from a pet. As long as you feed them, <laughs> they are your absolute best friend, even on your worst day. So I'll just top that off with an observation at the food pantry over the past few years. One of the most asked for items at the food pantry for the past few years has been pet food. Everybody wants pet food for their pets. So they love them. They love them. <laughs> <laughs> and do you provide pet food? Yes. Nice. Yeah, and soup bones too. Yeah. The dog loved them, so. I got a puppy at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, yeah, he recently got uh, in the way of a truck on a parked highway. But um, back to the pandemic and loneliness and all that stuff, I, uh, my sister, uh, getting a little further away from home than most people, has been in Las Vegas and lost her husband of over 40 years. You know, a couple of months ago due to COVID and complications from some breathing problems he had previously to that. But she is not allowed in the hospital to visit with him or anything, you know, so um, I, my loneliness is not, you know, being able to be there, you know, for her or whatever. And I, I'm sure she's going through a lot. And it was just about three weeks after that, that his oldest son uh, committed suicide. So she's lost, uh, you know, two very important people in her life. So anyway, back to all of that. Is there gonna be money for mental health coming through the pipeline? I think the pandemic probably, you know, we need to recover from that as much as anything, I think. I think that's key to recovering economically, to recovering mentally. So any, any thoughts on that? We've been pretty good with um, financial investment from the powers that be. Um, and a big one of those things certainly being um, that knock on wood for one of the first times ever it would appear, um, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services being willing to get with the times and allow the coverage for telehealth services, um, which is ongoing. There's been no, no commentary, at least at this point, of that changing and taking away that coverage, which certainly increases access. Um, you know, I think that uh, we are in a place right now where not only in this community in Alaska, in this country, and in the world where we are on the brink of potentially a mental health crisis. Um, I will call it that, you know, and it's, it's sort of funny, you know, I think back to um, very early on in the pandemic when um, we would have some conversations about what that meant for people's mental health. Um, 
and uh, what that meant for our communities. And you know, one of the things that I, I kept saying at that time was, don't ask me this now, ask me this in five years because that's when we're gonna see the problem. I think of that in the same arena as um, these communities in this area where we've experienced these really significant forest fires over the last decade. And yes, there, there is certainly an emotional need in those, that very like imminent time period afterward, but it's once that initial crisis settles that we really start to see the mental and emotional um, consequences. And I think that that's where, what we're kind of coming into right now, right? COVID's not gone, but certainly that, that crisis um, level, that urgency is shifting. And now we're, as that starts to change, we're going to start to recognize just how much that has affected all of our emotional and mental well-beings. Um, and I wish, you know, I did so much reading um, of some updated research before this, and I should have looked back at this number. So I'm not going to quote the percentage because uh, I know I will screw it up. Um, but uh, there was a, a research study from um, after SARS, and the uh, basically what it showed was a dramatically increased rate of PTSD in the population of, um, I think they had done the study and perhaps it was maybe Singapore or something like that, um, in the areas that were affected, um, directly related to uh, uh, the exposure of, of that in the community. And so um, I think that you bring up a spectacular point um, that we are going to see those needs continuing for the examples that you shared from your family. Um, the pandemic has really disrupted the mourning process in a lot of ways. People um, like your sister that was not able to be in the hospital, that it's hard enough losing somebody. It's extra hard when you lose that ability to participate in that grieving process as you would have otherwise, which is going to lead to increased risk factors. Um, as of right now, I. I'm hopeful, I will knock on wood over here. I think that we are um, seeing at a national level and at a state and, a, and a, a borough level that the mental health needs are significant, um, which gives me a lot of hope that the financial investment is going to be there. Um, certainly uh, within this community, there are a lot of options um, to get those needs met. Um, at even a smaller scale of where that money has come from. Um, so what I would say to everybody is certainly talk to the people that make those decisions at the governmental level <laughs> and encourage <laughs> that, that that funding stays there because we're going to need to see it. Um, all of the money that has gone toward the medical investment over the last couple of years is really going to need to shift into the mental health aspect. Um, but certainly please don't ever allow uh, concern about cost to be something that prevents you from reaching out to that support because there's always an option. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. I appreciate it. And thanks for getting us out here and talking about it. I think that's the key is that people got to know that mental health is, is real and it's not just so-and-so who likes to bang his head on the walls. Anyway. <laughs> thank you for sharing your night. story. Hi, I'm Tanya Corda. Um, I work for Sunshine Health Clinic as a behavioral health clinician. I'm primarily in the schools. And um, I think Sarah and her gentleman is right that we are, I think there's a mental health crisis. I think we're short staffed and I think there's increasing issues, but I also think with every crisis comes opportunities for growth. And we can't do it alone. 
And there are a lot of things I think that we're learning about mental health and like mental health hygiene that kids are now learning. Um, that we're teaching kids about how to talk to the, ourselves, how we talk to ourselves about stress, how we talk to ourselves about challenges. Um, how did we get through the pandemic? Um, I talked to parents about, you can talk to your kids about what good is happening right now. We're connecting as a family. We're taking care of each other. Yeah, Zoom sucks, but those teachers really care about you and they're showing up to be there for you. So there's all these opportunities and it's happening worldwide. And I think we also don't know what's gonna happen then in the future of an entire, the entire world a whole generation of young children who are learning other things as well, besides just, oh my God, this is horrible. Also, look what else we can do. We can take care of each other. We can learn to take deep breaths. I got a hot, I got a phone, I, I got this weird text, call this number, it'll make you laugh. I thought it was a prank. It was, mm -hmm. and I called this, um, I called the number and it was a school project and it was pep talk from kindergartners. <laughs> and it was press one. If you're having a rough day and need a pep talk, press one. If you want advice, press two. I don't remember what it was. And some of the advice was, if you're feeling, set, if you're feeling frustrated, take a deep breath and count to five. If you're frustrated, go to your bedroom and punch the pillow or cry in it. Um, <laughs> If you're, if you're having a bad day, um, talk to somebody or go to your trampoline and do backflips. I don't know about <laughs> you guys, but nobody taught me those things when I was young. And so we have a chance to teach kids about the way we now teach kids about washing their hands and taking care of our physical health. We're now teaching kids about really basic stuff about mental health and normalizing things, normalizing that sometimes things are really hard and sometimes we're sad and sometimes we're really frustrated but we don't get to punch people but there's other things we can do um i i am also like Cece, that very hopeful glass is always you know half full and we have an opportunity globally for kids to learn a different way to be in relationship with themselves and with other people. So I'm hopeful. That's about it all. So <laughs> I really appreciate the hopeful note. Um, and I appreciate this idea of reframing the time that we're in. Um, and you spoke a little bit about kind of reframing, reframing things for young people. We have about two minutes left. I was wondering if either of you would be interested in kind of reframing how to talk about mental health when trying to approach these conversations with other adults. How do you get people to start thinking about maybe what we're gaining from this time or skills that we've learned during this time? I love to look at everything through this lens of adaptation. Uh, so we, are, we have to adapt to our environment. Um, and oftentimes those adaptations are really helpful and they are creative and they lead to new ideas and new opportunities and everything's amazing. And other times uh, we adapt in ways that only work really well in the short term. Um, I think we've all been there. I certainly have. 
um, where you figure out something that works and it works right now, but the bigger picture or the longer term consequence of it is less good. Um, and I think that that is um, really what ends up being kind of the foundation of anything that ends up not working for us. It was all adaptive at one point. If something is all bad, you don't do it, right? If when you stick your hand on the stovetop and it burns you, there was literally no benefit. So you do not do it again. Um, but even the things that we do that sometimes are harmful to us in the long term, there was something that we got out of it. There was some need that it met. There was some way that it helped in the short term. Uh, and so as we try to figure out what we need to do to make changes in our life, um, it becomes recognizing that whatever we want to do less of uh, actually did serve a purpose. And just because the way we went about resolving that need wasn't working, it doesn't mean that that need wasn't there. So we need to find a different way to get that need met. That was beautiful. I like to think that we're all human beings. And we all suffer loneliness and pain and happiness and joy. All of us. I don't know anybody who doesn't. So that playing field is level. And that need to judge and that need to say good or bad about things, it's just us. It's inside of us. And so what we need to do is look at what's inside of us and reframe that because we don't need to be better than or less than. We need to be equal to. So all human beings eat and sleep and do other bodily functions, and I don't know anybody that doesn't. And so we're all kind of like on a level playing field. And I'd like to just think of us all as human beings. So let's be kind to each other like human beings and dogs. <laughs> well, thank you all very, very much. It was great to hear from so many community members. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Luann. Um, and that's it for this episode of Talk of Alaska live in Talkeetna. Our guests today were Sarah Blanning from the Sunshine Clinic and Luann Carroll Tisdale from the Upper Susitna Food Pantry, as well as members of the Talkeetna community. This event was recorded at the Sheldon Community Arts Hangar in Talkeetna. Cindy Vegetabli is the event coordinator. Adeline Baxter is the producer. Audio engineering by Eric Bork and Philip Manning. Sherry Single photographed the event. And this episode is part of a special project focused on mental health and funded by the Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority. Thank you all very, very much for being here. And thanks to everyone who listened. of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Alaska Public Media.